Every story needs a hero, and every story needs a villain. Well, we're back, and it's episode number six. I am Drew. I am the voice of hero and the villain, or the audio shadow, I guess I could say. I want to give myself that little persona. I appreciate you stopping by Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and our ever-growing list of ways to listen. So the last five episodes have been pretty damn heavy in content. So I figured to celebrate our 100th download, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're a new band, so to speak, and you're trying to get a little bit of a following, you take what you can. So I appreciate everybody that has been listening, sharing, subscribing, and more so sharing your stories with me. I've had a few people actually hit me up. No, I'm not fabricating this like a lot of people on fitness social media do about that whole, a lot of people have been asking me, one person asked you, stop faking. I've actually had people hit up my inbox, some friends and a few strangers saying, thank you for this podcast. Thank you for putting it in simple terms to understand. Here's my story. And one thing that I love about doing this and getting into life coaching and just being an empath and compassionate is you kind of become the warm center of your universe where people feel comfortable going to in order to share their stories because they trust you. And that makes me feel pretty warm and fuzzy inside. It's one of the things I can say I do really love about myself is I have that quality. I always have, which is why I'm getting into that life coaching lifestyle because it just makes sense. I'm a born communicator. I listen pretty damn well and I give decent advice even if I don't take it myself. So (laughs) saying that out loud is reaffirming that I should sometimes, but I like helping people a lot and I like the trust factor. I like the respect factor of sharing these things with each other. And I have some pretty awesome friends that are very uh, okay with being vulnerable with me. So to those that have, thank you. So let's have some fun today. The last five episodes have been, as they say, heavy as a really heavy thing. And if you know music, like I know music, especially heavy music, because that is my forte. I like the chug chug and the beat you down and the fast stuff, and the nasty shit, and the satanic speed metal. I love all that. I like heavy stuff. I even like heavy moody music that's not metal. The massive attack sort of vibe where it's heavy and dripping with sexual energy. That is just something I love, and I'm never going to change. But I do know in heavy music, when you're listening to a heavy album, sometimes bands will either do five tracks in a row and then hit you with that acoustic instrumental to kind of break up the mood a little bit and then hit you over the head again. Or if you're a band like Strapping Young Lad was, 
they'll get you with the blazing fast jackhammer to the face and then throw in a joke to just lighten the mood before they hit you again with all the fast stuff. So today is going to be that fun thing that comes after the five heavy tracks. The first five episodes were very much the heavy content that I wanted to kind of go for when starting this. Today's the fun day. So let's have some fucking fun. We're going to talk about the psychology of superheroes because after all, the podcast is called Hero and the Villain. So why not talk about the fictional heroes and the fictional villains that we all know and love? There are many out there to discuss. This might be a little bit longer than our average podcast we've done. We've ranged between the 15 to 20 minutes, but knowing the list I have here, we got some good ones to go over. Some of your favorites, in fact. So superheroes, let's talk about the good guys for a second. Most people are drawn to superheroes because of their moral compass and the idea of having a superpower to do good in this world. Um, if you think about what the real life superheroes are, they are first responders, they are nurses, doctors, especially after last year, they are teachers, they are good parents, mothers and fathers that teach kids uh, right from wrong. There are any positive influence out there trying to do good, doing volunteer work, helping the homeless, helping those less fortunate. Those are the real heroes in reality. However, when we look at superheroes from a fantasy aspect, we dream, what would it be like to have that superpower? What would it be like to fly or to have spider webs shooting out of our wrists or be able to conjure lightning with a hammer? We all think about those things from time to time. Or with celebrities, we think about man. Wouldn't it be great to get make all that money that this baseball player makes? Now, if I was a baseball player and made $34 million a year, you can bet your happy ass that underneath my public exterior, I would be trying to make really cool weapons and a Batman outfit because that would be a better use of money than buying five houses. Right. But we think about that stuff, be like, oh, if I had all that money, what could I do with it? You'd probably sit on Amazon all day and buy useless shit, or you do good with it, like help people out, help your family out, and all that. Superheroes, as far as the good guys go, kind of fall into those categories where they're either a normal Joe that has a superpower of some kind, or they have a lot of money and they're able to make gadgets, but all the good guys typically have one thing in common. They are all battling major personal issues of some kind, such as hard trauma. Now, where does that come from? Well, they're fictional. So the people that write for these comics, and we're going to try to stick with more of the comic side than the movie side as best as I can, because I know I just bird walked, as John Kim would say. 
I jump from one thing to the next, ADHD. Oh, look, a squirrel, you know. Most comic writers have created the world that the movies take from. And the movies often will shorten and give you the abridged version of that superhero's backstory because, quite frankly, if you get a two-hour movie, you got to cram a lot of shit into it. Comics have years to develop that superhero backstory. And those backstories are all a part of the people who write them. So when these writers sat down initially and started creating superhero backstories, they realized that if they made an absolutely flawless superhero, no one would relate to them at all. Because there's no such thing as a perfect person. Anybody that tries to act like they're without flaws are fucking flawed. So if you're trying to relate to a superhero that has no flaws, chances are you're not going to really like them too much. You want somebody that you can latch on to. So a lot of these writers created backstories that you could, because we all deal with bullshit all the time. So that being said, those flaws from the writers or the ideas or those personal traumas from the writers make their way generally into the superheroes, a.k.a. the good guys. A really good example of that is the guy who wrote the graphic novel for The Crow. Now, if you remember The Crow, the Brandon Lee movie uh, adapted from the graphic novel about a musician whose girlfriend gets killed and then he comes back from the dead, puts on some black metal makeup and proceeds to kick the living shit out of the gang that killed his girlfriend. Same thing in the movies, uh, even though they modified it a little bit, that classic Brandon Lee performance. The writer of that graphic novel, he lost his wife, if I remember correctly. So he took that trauma and he put it into a story and became world famous. And that's how you have the crow. So that being said, let's get to a few of the good guys. Now that I've set this all up, so I better deliver the goods. So here we go. Let's start with three masked superheroes because they all have something in common. It's that hard trauma I was talking about. They use it as fuel in order to do morally good things to help others. So they're turning a bad into a positive. Let's start with Daredevil. Now, Daredevil, for those that do not know, is more or less the Marvel version of Batman. He's got this day job, and then by night he puts on a suit and terrorizes criminals throughout Hell's Kitchen in New York. Not that you could go to New York and see a guy in a devil outfit terrorizing criminals, but it is New York, so possibly. But his backstory is like instant superhero trauma backstory. He lost his mom at an early age. His father was killed by the mob at an early age, and he lost his eyesight. So there's three giant things that made Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil, what he is. So he eventually was trained by this ninja clan where, even though he can't see, now his hearing is so good because they sharpened his skills that he can hear what he needs to see. It's like sonar from a submarine. Pretty fascinating stuff. It works for the plot of the comic. He has duality issues as far as his light and dark sides. Obvious shadow work there. He has an edge pusher mentality, which is 
he doesn't kill anybody, but he really takes himself right to the edge of what he will do to uphold justice in his area of New York. And through that, he basically has a like a death wish almost. But the bigger of it is the fact that he feels that Hell's Kitchen is his city and it's up to him to fight all the crime instead of leave it to the cops. So he kind of has a messiah complex like he's out to save everybody. This occasionally interferes with his day job as a blind lawyer, but the lawyer gig actually allows him to know which criminals are getting free so he can try to bust them at night. Very convenient. Batman is very similar to all this. Now, we know the Batman story. Walking down the alleyway, some guy ends up killing Bruce Wayne's parents, and he eventually grows up to be billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne with a lot of money and a lot of free time after being trained by the League of Shadows to make all these awesome gadgets with his butler, Alfred. Now, Bruce Wayne has a lot of anger issues and a lot of regret for the death of his parents, and he uses the Batman persona to avenge the deaths of his parents. Batman, for Bruce Wayne, is a form of therapy that when he puts on the mask, he's able to deal with the dark side of himself. Shadow work. There you go. But there's been some debate of whether or not Bruce Wayne is actually the mask and Batman is the real Bruce Wayne. There's a lot of articles out there on the psychology of Bruce Wayne and Batman, uh, but very similar in a way to Daredevil. That's why they're kind of almost DC Marvel uh, brothers of sorts. Now, Spider-Man, our goody two-shoes from New York, who's actually in the Daredevil universe often, he's a goody two-shoes because he's a kid. All right, so obviously, let's go right there. He's a young adult, and he faces all the same struggles that young adults generally do. He lost his parents at a very early age. He lost his Uncle Ben to a gunman, and he also struggles with fitting in socially, there's anxiety issues, while being able to shoot these spider webs out of his wrist and crawl up walls, which most teenagers have that problem, I assume, nowadays. I didn't when I was young. We did other things like drugs, but you know, if you were a Spider-Man, then go for it. So Spider-Man, basically, he has this side that he can't show to the rest of the world because he uses it in order to fight crime. This leads to having challenging uh, or challenges with uh, relationships, such as his sweetheart, Mary Jane, because he doesn't want anybody to know that he is Spider-Man, and then that would threaten the people he loves. The three masked heroes that we talked about, Spider-Man, Batman, Daredevil, all use the mask to protect what they do from the people they love. So they have that whole hidden side about themselves that they can't let people they know that they are that superhero. I'm sure at some point in the comics, because they've been around forever, that they have spilled the beans. I think Batman has been really secretive about it. I haven't kept up with all the comics because he's been around since 1939, but I'm guessing that there may be at one point everybody found out. So they all hide that. So that's kind of the masked hero side. They all have hard trauma. They use the mask in order to deal with that trauma, but it also leads them to not be able to express that dark side to the people they know because they want to keep them safe. Batman uh, also with his 
legions of villains that he fights. We're going to talk a little bit more about the villains of Batman later because more things that he deals with ties into them. Superman is an interesting one. He's godlike because he's an alien, right? He's not of this world. So instantly you're like, well, this guy doesn't have any problems. He's, he's Superman. He can do anything. Not true. He's godlike. Yes, he can do anything. Yes. But imagine if you knew that you could do absolutely anything, but you have to keep it a secret because people would look at you as the devil or weird or an alien. They did a little bit of that in the Man of Steel movie, but he conceals his true identity as Superman, Cal-El, his alien name, as Clark Kent. And Clark Kent's kind of like the nerdy type, kind of a hipster. Minus the man bun. So he has all these amazing powers. He's basically immortal. He's basically bulletproof, but he has to conceal that identity to fit into a normal life. Social awkwardness and social anxiety because he doesn't want anybody to find out that he's Superman, but he has to restrain himself and try to act normal. The Christopher Reeve version of Superman a long time ago, there was parts in the movie where somebody would shake his hand and he would purposely have to go like limp wrist in order to be like, yeah, I'm shaking your hand like a normal person. He could crush that person's hands. No problem. So he's having to constantly repress all these powers to fit in. And there lies his struggle. So let's go to some Avengers. Why don't we Bruce Banner, the Hulk instant, uh, Jacqueline Hyde kind of syndrome, uh, split personalities, repression of anger. Um, has to learn to kind of control that or else the green beast comes out and he smashes everything. Now let's give Bruce Banner credit. He's probably the only superhero that does self work because <laughs> he's trying to meditate to keep the Hulk inside and he tries to calm that, that anger. Uh, but of course we know that that doesn't, doesn't always work. A lot of the times he does the whole, Oh, I'm getting angry. You wouldn't like me if I was angry because I got this you know, anger issues. I haven't seen my therapist lately and ah, Hulk's out. Now I'm smashing everything. Uh, but at least Bruce Banner's trying. Unlike his friend, Tony Stark, Tony Stark is a fucking mess. <laughs> oh boy. We could do a whole uh, episode on Mr. Stark. Let's go there real quick. Hard trauma. Parents died at an early age, whether you look at the comic version or the movie version where Bucky Barnes, AKA the winter soldier, uh, killed his parents. So you automatically have to deal with that. He was an only child, uh, really didn't have a father figure. So he inherited a lot of money. So he was able to do kind of whatever he wanted. So nobody ever really called him out on his bullshit. He's an egomaniac. He's a slight sociopath. He has existential dilemma inadequacy issues while facing higher beings. So facing any Thanos-esque alien from outer space that has magical powers, it makes him feel inferior because he's just a dude in a suit. He has a tendency to, oh, what's a good way to put this? Make bad, rash, snap decisions in order to try to save the world that he feels like he needs to save. So there's a slight messiah complex tied into the inadequacies. Uh, the world around him pushes him to kind of go that route. If you look at the second Avengers, Ultron was a result of that, where he had trauma from the first Avengers. All that stuff was kind of borrowed from the comics. So he took that trauma from the first alien invasion, and then he decided to go crazy making a robot to save the world. 
And of course, Ultron didn't work out so well, but at least we got James Spader for the voice. Putting people in harm's way with those bad decisions. So he makes a rash decision, and before you know it, people are getting hurt, even though his original intention was not to get anybody hurt at all. And he has that inferiority complex where he is just a dude in a suit, and he feels more safe in the suit than in his normal Tony Stark habitat. Laundry list of character defects right there. Wolverine, my personal favorite. He is, let's see, basically immortal. He's been around for about 150 years. He's got some anger issues. He's unstable emotionally due to his PTSD from watching people die for 150 years. He's been through more or less all the wars, and he's outlived everybody. So imagine you can't die. You're watching all your friends die or all your... um, you know, soldier pals die, and this basically leads him to where he can't get close to anybody because of it. So he has bonding issues, but he does have a big heart. The people that are around at that time, he does look out for them and take care of them. He has this other issue where he can't really remember his past a great deal. So it leads him to kind of, oh, what's a, what's a good way to put it? Uh, because he can't remember his past. Uh, he doesn't really feel rooted or grounded at all. So he has a tendency to be a nomad and trying to you know, run around and search for any clues about his past. Wolverine is somebody I would love to do a full podcast on if we ever go back to the superhero thing. Him, Tony Stark, and The Punisher, I think, would be a awesome episode to just touch on those three because of how much stuff they have going on with them. But we've talked a lot about heroes here. So... We're going to do part two in episode seven. So that'll be the villain episode. So if you want to hear more, click over to episode number seven. We'll focus on the villains.